Crystal Hall, and I want to welcome you to today's episode of Overcomer, Living a Full Life After. I would love if you would leave me some feedback. You can go to the site where my podcast is hosted at Podbean. You can also go to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen to this podcast. I would really love to get some feedback from you. So if you could take a moment and let me know how I'm doing, I'd really appreciate it. You know, I would also like to see what are some topics that you would like to see me cover um, as I kind of go through my own journey of overcoming the end of my marriage. Is there something that you would want me to discuss as you are working through your own journey? So if there is, again, I hope you'll leave me some feedback, either through Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen to me. I'd really, really appreciate it. So last numbers, as far as downloads goes, um, I am approaching 450 downloads. So I really do appreciate the support that I've received from everyone so far. I really did not have any expectations. And so knowing that there are people out there that are listening really means a lot to me. So I really do thank you for that. So today's topic is going to be on making decisions. And I'm going to kind of start at the beginning for myself after the ex told me that he was done with the marriage or that we were done with the marriage. I made the decision really early on that I needed to try to do everything I could in order to save our marriage. I did a lot of reading and right away you find on the internet websites that are geared towards helping people who are going through um, a partner's midlife crisis or betrayal through adultery. And a lot of times what is suggested is that the person who is doing the betraying needs support and they need their space. There's a website out there that's uh, called Chump Lady and Chump Lady refers to this group that is available online that really pushes reconciliation after a betrayal, such as, you know, your partner's cheating on you. She refers to this as the the reconciliation industrial complex. And there's there, again, there's a lot of suggestion out there that the person who was betrayed needs to do everything they can in order to save the marriage. This includes letting the person who is doing the betraying to call all the shots, in my opinion. During this time for my ex, he really insisted upon wanting his freedom and wanting the ability to do what he wanted to do. This included, you know, being able to come and go on his own terms. When he was out, I was told not to ask him any questions about where he was at or who he was with. And I certainly was not allowed to text him during the times that he was gone because then I was interfering. I was essentially interfering with his freedom. You know, this was a a big departure from the marriage that I thought we had for the three decades that we were together because we, we shared 
everything. You know, we always talked about, you know, who we were going to be out with, um, who we were talking to, that sort of thing. And so to make the shift from having to go, you know, in a, in a partnership where you are talking to each other about things that are going on or not going on, um, to essentially not being able to ask any questions, you know, it was, it was a major shift for me during this time he would leave because he said he needed his space and he, he would shut his phone off. And so I had no ability of contacting him. And, you know, that really happened up my anxiety because knowing, you know, or not knowing what he was doing for several days on end, not knowing if he was with the other person, um, really created some emotional instability within myself. And again, this was all on his terms. And this is what the reconciliation industrial complex will tell you that you need to do. And, you know, the interesting thing to me is they do not tell, what they do not tell you really is how long you should let this behavior go on. I joined several different websites that have forums and in all the forums, it was essentially, you know, let them have their freedom, don't hold them accountable to anything. And eventually, you know, they will find their way back. And, um, I think kind of subconsciously, I knew that I would not be able to put up with it for a real long time. So there, that, there was that part of it going on in my head, but then there was the other part where I was so committed to making our marriage work that I would read a story, you know, like I shared one story with, um, either my daughter or my cousin about this woman who had put up with this type of behavior from her husband for several decades. And I remember, you know, saying, that's going to be me because, you know, he's really struggling and I need to be the supportive spouse and I know this isn't really him and he's going to wake up and when he wakes up, he's going to realize, you know, how wonderful our marriage is and how wonderful I am. Um, so there was this interesting kind of battle that I had in my head um, going between whether or not I was going to put up with it for several months or was I going to put up with it for several years? And I think right there kind of leads to the anxiety that's produced when you're going through something like this, just because there is so much uncertainty about what the future holds. And when he would be out, you know, I'd be sitting at home, um, many nights I'd be sitting at home in our backyard, kind of looking up at the stars and listening to my music and just feeling really sad and depressed because everything that I thought I knew about him was completely being thrown out the window. So let me give you an example of just kind of how disorienting this all was. During my marriage, my ex-husband said that going to bars was something that he would never do because he never wanted that sort of temptation and he saw it as something that people did I think, um, if they were looking for hookups or, or whatever, he was not somebody that frequented bars. He was not somebody that went out with a whole big group of guys and went to strip clubs or anything like that. So I went from having 
a spouse who did not go to bars and did not do the bar scene, did drank beer like on the weekend, sometimes during the week, just kind of depending, but was not a heavy drinker by any stretch of the imagination to somebody who was going to bars and was hanging out with a group of people who did a lot of drinking and um, so it was just, it was just literally waking up one day being married to one person, one type of person and waking up the next day and being, you know, seeing this person before you who looks like your spouse, but are behaving in ways that are nothing like the person that you had been married to. And it's kind of described in in some of the things that I've read as um, the old movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you know, where you see the person before you who looks, you know, exactly the same, but their behaviors are so very different. And, but you love that person, right? Because you still see, you know, like there were, there were times during the six months where he was definitely the person I had been married to for all these years. And again, the word I can use that best describes the situation is how disorienting it feels to be in this situation. And so as I would read the different forums that really pushed for reconciliation under the idea that divorce is incredibly destructive, that is something that I do not disagree with. I think that divorce, if you have two people who for the most part um, get along and, you know, they're able to work through their issues over the years, I think that there are other ways of dealing with problems that come up in the marriage and that divorce really should be a last option. Obviously, if you're in a situation where you're being abused, um, your children are being abused, either emotionally, physically, whatever the case may be, then divorce should be the first option, right? Because your own safety physically and mentally and the safety of your children is what's paramount. I was really conflicted during this time. And so at the time, the, de the decision I had made was to try to work on our marriage. But there's the key word right there, our marriage. And what I think I realized after six months is that marriage is a team right? And that I could not be the one, I could not be the only one that was committed to saving something that he no longer saw the value in. And so in January of 2018, the, you know, the first decision I made was try to work on my marriage and did everything I could in order to work on my marriage and, and save the marriage. The second decision I made was in January of 2018 and, you know, I was standing in the shower um, the morning that I made this decision. I was crying and, you know, trying not to let him hear me cry because that would upset him and um, I just remember standing in the shower going, I can't do this anymore. I cannot continue to be on this path where I am giving and giving and giving so much of myself and there is very little giving on his part. At that moment is when I made the decision that as soon as my shower was over that I would have to have the conversation with him that he would have to leave. And so 
I got out of the shower, you know, got dried off, got dressed, and he was in the front room. And I basically said to him, you know, you're going to have to leave. I can't do this anymore. And I remember at first looking at him and the shock at first, I think that came on his face. But then once he realized, I, you know, once I it really sunk in that I was finally giving him the ultimate freedom that he had been wanting since he first dropped the bomb on me in July, um, I was giving it to him. And I remembered feeling really, really scared. I remember feeling not very brave at that moment because I had no idea what the future held for me. I knew that what I thought my future was going to be with this man was no longer going to be that future that I had picked that I had pictured in which we were going to finally get around to being able to enjoy ourselves, you know, with each other in the way that we had enjoyed being together prior to us, you know, having kids and having all the responsibilities that come with having kids was no longer going to be, you know, that picture was now gone. I'd spent three decades building my life with this person and fully anticipated dying, you know, being married to him. All of that was suddenly no longer going to be. So I also had hoped it wasn't an ultimatum in the sense that I, I did, I never said to him, either you need to pick her, or you need to pick me. Um, but there, even in that moment when I told him that he needed to leave, there was a big part that had hoped that when I uttered those words, that he would realize everything that he was giving up if he did in fact leave. And instead what I saw was a man who was almost giddy at the idea that he was now getting what he wanted. But you know, I guess the kind of curious thing here is that this was something that he said that he wanted, that he had obviously shown me that he'd wanted for six months, but yet I was forced to do the things that I did not want to do. I was forced to make the decision to ask him to leave. That was not anything I ever wanted to do. I was forced to be the one to file for divorce. And, you know, we, you know, we, I had brought this up to him several times over the six months. Hey, if you're the one who wants to do this, then you need to be the one who does it because it, it can't be on me. It shouldn't be me making that decision. But in the end, you know, for my own sanity, I had to be the one, you know, I had to be the one to ask him to leave. I had to be the one who filed for divorce because I really believe that he would have continued on this path while he was trying to figure his stuff out, um, giving me crumbs along the way, as Chump, Le Chump Lady says on her blog. And was happy to have that cake from me and from the affair partner, right? He would have been perfectly, I think, willing to continue on this path for as long as I was willing to be a part of it. But as scary as it was, I did not realize at that moment when I asked him to leave that I was finally taking my power back. That the power that I had given to him over my own life, I was now taking back. So I think at some point, you know, if you're on this seesaw 
of if he's leaving, if he's staying, I think at some point you have to decide to put yourself first. I know that it is so scary and I know that it, it is not easy to do this, but you have to be willing to really look at whether or not the current path that you're on is the path that you want to be on six months from now. And that was part of it for me when I stood in the shower that morning. I said, I cannot do this for another six months. The previous six months had found me so depressed. It had found me so uncertain. It had found me, you know, with not being able to sleep, not being able to eat. It had found me really questioning my worth. And it had found me even questioning the work that I was doing because of all the uncertainty that had been created by what he was doing during that six months when I was trying so desperately to fight for our marriage. So it is a struggle. It is so very hard to disentangle yourself from someone that has been a part of your life for so long. But I really think that it is essential to do it in order to save yourself. And again, if you have kids, what do they say when you're taking a flight and the air mask drops? They say, put that air mask on yourself first and then put it on the child who's sitting next to you. And that is because you have to save yourself first in order to be able to save your kid. And I'm just going to say, even if you don't have your, have kids, you know, I think that saving yourself has to be the ultimate thing that you do because no one is going to fight for you in the way that you can fight for yourself. That moment for me, again, not realizing it at the time, truly was the moment that I took towards finding and rebuilding myself, finding and rebuilding my own happiness, finding and rebuilding my own strength and my own power. And that's what I need for you to hear is that the moment you make the decision of not putting up with whatever they're putting yourself through is truly the moment towards you finding and rebuilding your own happiness, your own strength, and your own power. So as I usually do, I'm going to end today's episode with a quote. This comes from a book that I read called Fear, Essential Wisdom for Getting Through the Storm. And it is written by Thich Nhat Han. And, um, I found this to be so incredibly helpful after I asked him to leave. Um, and after I was living on my own as a way of facing some of the fear that I was feeling. And so the quote goes like this, we cannot enjoy life if we spend our time and energy worrying about what happened yesterday and what will happen tomorrow. If we're afraid all the time, we miss out on the wonderful fact 
that we're alive and can be happy right now. That is it for me for today. And I want to remind you that there are several places that you can find me. The first is my Facebook group called Overcomer with Crystal. If you search for that, you can hopefully find me. If not, if you just go to crystalhall.podbean.com where my um, podcast is hosted, there's always a link in the notes there and you can click on that link and go to the group there. I also have a blog called It's Never Too Late to Try. Um, And so you can find me uh, on my blog. And again, the link is going to be in the notes section of my podcast. And also on Instagram at I am Crystal Hall. First name C-H-R-I-S-T-A-L. Last name Hall. So thank you so much for tuning in today. And I hope today is a day that you realize that you are an overcomer and that you can live a full life after. Thank you.